to say, you know, every week, it seems like continuing conversations, the conversation continues and it gets better and better. And I can't talk about how excited I am for today. Of course, I'm Michael Desmuke. Um, I'm a freelance writer for Star Trek Adventures. I'm also a blogger on Continuing Missions, which is the number one fan site for Star Trek Adventures RPG. And I'm here happy to also introduce my co-host, Jim Johnson. Hey everybody, Jim Johnson. I am the project manager and line editor for the Star Trek Adventures RPG, published by Modifius Entertainment. And uh, I can guarantee that as excited as Michael is tonight, I'm even more excited because uh, I got the, this powerhouse group of, uh, of uh, guests here, not to mention Michael, and we'll talk about that later, why I'm so excited. But uh, I want to take an opportunity to uh, introduce our guests and have them introduce themselves, actually. So let's start with uh, Elisa. Elisa Pearl, introduce yourself, please. Why, hello, I am Elisa Pearl. And uh, I'm an actor, writer, dungeon master, TTRPG player, and game master, and improviser, storyteller, generally. Um, and I've been playing Star Trek Adventures since 2017 and GMing Star Trek Adventures since, I think, 2018-ish. Uh, and I love Star Trek and, and games, which is why I'm here. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, and, and grateful for your support over the years. Uh, from the very beginning, it's that 2017, you're saying it's so right right there from the start. And I know you did a ton of convention support for us in recent uh, recent months, recent years, and uh, that's just incomparable. Like it's such a it's such a boon to the to the game and to the into the line and everything. So thank you, thank you for being here. And uh, Eric, please introduce yourself. Yeah, uh, I'm Eric Campbell, uh, 16-bit Eric across all the socials. Uh, I am a blossoming, a new into the field comic book writer uh, and general writer as well, uh, but primarily known on the internet at least as a storyteller, GM, game master kind of person. And uh, yeah, you've probably seen me running some Star Trek adventures uh, here and there for the past couple of years uh, with the Streampunks and Lisa. So um, yeah, that's that's kind of my main thing. That's what I do. So that's humble. He said some. <laughs> He's probably the most well-known game yeah. master in the Star Trek Adventures universe. I love your humility, man. Wow, I, you set you set the bar. You set the bar, and uh, uh, we were actually talking right before the uh, right before the show that uh, I was I was joking that at, at one point I thought about wanting to do a stream for STA, and uh, then then I was thinking, well, you know, Shield of Tomorrow and Clear Skies and uh, Blood of the Void and all these other ones, the production values are so high because you got the you got the swank uniforms, you got the overlay, you got the sound effects, you got all this stuff. I'm like, shoot, I, I can't even compare to that. So I'm not even going to bother because I just want to just do a, a game with my group. Right. And uh, so we just went to roll 20 and, uh, and did, you know, uh, audio only. We didn't even bother with video, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you set the bar very, very high and uh, very grateful <laughs> that you were there. And uh, now I have to say though, but before we jump into like asking some, some questions here, um, I did not realize, Eric, that you were um, you were a comic book writer. So can you tell us a little bit about what, what you're working on as far as comic books? I mean, I should have known that that was going to happen. My partner, Jody Hauser, is a is a very famous comic book writer. She would dispute that, but it's true. She was nominated for an Innie, so she can deal with it. Um, uh, so... Um, I'm sorry, Star Trek, Eisner. I always, I not an I, not an any, an Eisner. Everyone likes to throw their their names, their award names into E's, but it'll right. be an any one day when she decides to write RPGs. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> yeah, uh, she and I are collaborating right now on a 
uh, certainly it's not what I expected that I, my first entry into the comic book field would be, but uh, we're writing a, a comic called Dawn Attack. It's based off of Frank Frazetta's art. It is okay. literally uh, based off of one of uh, Frank Frazetta's most famous pieces. And we just took that and put a story to it and built that mm-hmm. out. And the two of us are creating it. She's taking the lead and I am, I am, uh, she's taking me under her wing and taught me the, the, the ways of the comic book force as it were. So it's been a yeah. lot of fun. And what I'm discovering is uh, through the course of my life, I got involved in geek and sundry, which led me to shield of tomorrow mm-hmm. because I was a screenwriter because I love dialogue so much. Mm-hmm. And um what I'm discovering writing comic books is how much fun it is to set scenes just like a storyteller would in an RPG is set the scenes and in, in the way it looks, but writing the dialogue, it's, it's a medium that I had never ventured into before and she's introduced me to it and I'm completely in love with it. So uh, hopefully this will not be my last project. <laughs> That's super cool. Yeah. I remember yeah. way back, way back in the, way back in the before times, I actually wrote some uh, comic books and uh, it was my first exposure to the medium. And I was like, well, I know how to write stage plays and I've dabbled in screenplays and teleplays. And it's not, and then that, you know, when when some of the guys that I was working with kind of taught me how to do it, it was like, oh, this isn't that different. Yeah, you paint the scene and you do the dialogue. Dialogue is king uh, for a lot of this stuff. And uh, it was a really neat experience. Like I didn't, I didn't stick with it, obviously, but uh, it was a, it was a really neat experience. So I'm super excited that you're working on that. And and like, who better to be helping you than Jody, who was on the show a few weeks ago. Yeah, I'm super lucky. Yeah, Yeah, that's fantastic. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, uh, so um, so let's talk a little bit about Star Trek. And what I'm really curious about, because I don't think I've heard this story from either one of you. um, I know that I think you were both involved in the playtest of the game. Where where did like the 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 decision to run Shield of Tomorrow come into play? Like I think you were doing that even before the core book came out at Gen Con. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, uh, yeah, Elisa's first time playing. So I I asked Elisa to come play because Elisa was the other person in the in the office that had as much Star Trek paraphernalia around her desk as I did. And I well, remember Well, no, it was before was I started it? working there. Was oh that's right. Yeah. You had, that's right. Hector, that's right. It was Hector before you even started finished. working there. Yeah. I remember that. Hector introduced us. Mm-hmm. That's and right. that happened because Hector and I did improv way back in way That's back in the day, right. like 2012. We did oh improv together uh, at UCB and other places. And Hector knew that I was doing the Improvised Generation. Mm-hmm. And that, for people who don't know, the Improvised Generation is a long-running LA-based improv troupe that does Star Trek improv. We do hour-long-ish shows that are an episode of Star Trek in the style of TNG. And we had been doing it since 2015. Yeah, 15, I think. 2015 we started. Uh, So Hector knew that I was doing that. And Hector is in the improvised generation now, by the way. Um, (laughs) But back then he wasn't in it. And he was like, hey, I got invited to do this show at Geek and Sundry. It's tabletop role-playing games and it's Star Trek. And I thought of you because Star Trek and improv. I was like, oh my God, what? I don't know what all this means, but yes, this sounds awesome. What do I do? He's like, okay, I'll put you in touch with Eric, the game master. And I had played D&D maybe once at that point. I was so new to TTRPGs. I did not know much about the world at all, but I went for a meeting with Eric and that was my first time in the office. Um, And at the same time, I also happenstance had been referred to Nerdist as a writer by another improv friend. So it was just like at that point in my life, I was destined to be in that building. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I ended up getting two jobs in that building at the same time. Wow, You're talking about a decade of history. 
Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I remember that now. Yeah. For me. So uh, yeah, I can, I can tell you what led up to us reaching out to Elisa too. Uh, The whole process of getting shield up and off the ground. Um, We had just wrapped up. So when I first, when I first took over as director of development at Geek and Sundry, there was a gap in content and they let me take, uh, they, they, I, I covered for, I covered for Ivan on one of his shows because they knew I was a a game master and it did well. So they asked me if I wanted to come in and run a couple of more games for funsies and those did well. So after that, uh, they said, Hey, we have a gap in content. Do you want to just come run a show until we can take over and you can run whatever you want? And the, and I was like, sure. So, uh, I just picked a bunch of random games that I thought would be fun to play to the audience. And we ended up starting with Dr. Who. And we were going to, we never came up with a name for the show. It became known as Eric's TBD RPG. And because the idea was, is that we would just announce a new game every few weeks and just play that. I'm so glad we never did that because I do not have the bandwidth for that. But anyway, when we wrapped it up, it did so well that um, keep in mind, director and development, I have no say over what goes up on in front of camera. It's not my call. My job was when things get greenlit, then I come into play and I develop the show with the creator of the show, or I develop, I develop it out. I re- so that's what I did at GNS is developing all of the shows over there. And it was basically, it was me and Marisha constantly developing all of the shows. So when they handed me a show, they were like, what do you want to do? And at first I was like, Oh, I'll, Oh, I want to run Tron Oh wait, I can't. That's owned by Disney. I can't do that. They'll bust us. Cause yeah, no. Okay. So I was like, uh, maybe I'll run. Uh, I don't know. Oh, Hey, I'll run. I was like, Oh my God. I could run Star Trek. I could run a Star Trek RPG. And so I was like, uh, so I pitched it to them and say, do you think this would be a problem? Because at a big studio like that, you had to be kind of mindful of what you're running because if you're a small time streamer, they don't give a damn. But if you are a subsidiary of legendary films, even though we weren't a part of legendary film studio, um, we're still a subsidiary. Like you could still get in trouble. So I did some research and tried to like, we set up a meeting to find out if they were okay with it. And uh, in the meantime, I dropped my savings, my, I'm sorry, my, my tax return on buying the entire collection of Decipher Star Trek RPG books, because at the time, that's what I thought I was running. So I bought every out of print Decipher book. This is the predecessor to Star Trek Adventures that it went out of print in like 2006. So um, so I bought all of those books and as soon as I had purchased them, I brought them to my desk and I remember somebody was like, aren't they coming out with a new one? And I was like, no, <laughs> are, yes. Are they, are they coming out with a new one? And they're like, yeah, I think I heard they were coming out with a new one here and let me get you in contact. And that's when I found out Modifius. That's, that's the first time I found out there was a company named Modifius out there that was about to publish a, a Star Trek adventures. I was like, so I ran into the office and I was like, y'all, we could launch a new show and launch a new RPG. And I was like, this would be a big deal. Why don't, like, can we please do it? So, um, and then of course we had the conversations of like trying to get people to come play and, and the whole thing. And it was like, there's a whole story behind the casting and like getting, <laughs> uh, and reaching out to CBS Paramount. And it was a lot of fun, but that's essentially how Shield of Tomorrow came about. It was just like stack, 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 stack. It all came into play. I'm gonna want to hear more about that because I've told Jim this. Sure. We've we've done. We're we're in the we're about to have a, our year worth of interviews here, a year worth of shows, and something about. 
this timing on Star Trek Adventures, the things that happen. And so you saying that, that you picked up, you know, the start, you found out about Star Trek Adventures from Odypheus coming out of, at the same time as they were going mm-hmm. into play testing. I don't know, Jim, there's something about this book. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Just, we just got lucky and like literally um, the game, we were in development in 2016. The game came out in 2017. And then that fall is when Discovery started airing. Yeah. Uh, so it was like, it was like, I mean, we didn't have Discovery right. license at the mm-hmm. time, but like, I think we, when we were developing the book in 2016, we started hearing the drip um, marketing campaign from Paramount and CBS, well, CBS at the time that, oh, Discovery's coming. We were kind of excited about that. It's like, oh, Discovery's coming. What does that mean? But we had no idea. Like, we, we weren't read into the show. We hadn't read any script. We had no idea what was going to happen other than just as fans, right? And uh, and so um, that happened. And then Shield of Tomorrow happened. And then Continuing Mission happened. And that's that's why I'm so excited because, like, all three of you were responsible for really helping this game get off the ground faster than any other Star Trek RPG that I can remember. Mm-hmm. Like, I know uh, Decipher had the internet mm-hmm. and Last Unicorn Games. I mean, that was, I mean, Last Unicorn Games, that was... Uh, what was that the nineties, right? And mm-hmm. like the internet was not what it is now, <laughs> right? I remember and, playing. Uh, like I think I think um, like streaming RPGs wasn't really a thing until the mid aughts, I guess. I mean, yeah. I, I don't think it's nobody like, was nobody was playing Decipher online because it just wasn't a thing yet, as far as I can remember. Yeah, um, it was out of print. Yeah, and yeah. so so for you all to be running Shield of Tomorrow, <clears throat> pretty much when we launched the game. It, it gave it gave a certain part of the fan base like this instant understanding like oh this is the game that they're playing on uh, i guess were you on youtube at the time or were you on something else we were on twitch you're on twitch yeah and yeah. youtube but yeah live yeah on, we came out on youtube on after twitch, twitch yeah mm-hmm. yeah but like that but like when i went to gen <clears throat> that year 2017 it's like it, it wasn't uh we weren't we weren't marketing to a, a completely you know, blind audience. Like they were already right. familiar with Shield of Tomorrow. They were already familiar with, I mean, Star Trek, sure, but uh, mm-hmm. it just made it easier because it's like, oh, you want to see how to play the game? Go watch, go watch Erica run the game online, man. And with, with all the, uh, with all the actors, mm-hmm. and it was like, wow, this is great. And then we managed to get uh, some of you, some of the, some of the cast and crew uh, actually to come to the booth and spend some time with us. That and, was... Like I remember Amy, uh, Amy signed my core book, which I was so excited about. Uh, that's so, a treasured uh, memory i yeah. loved i love doing that at gen con that is a treasured memory yeah 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 i think i think my favorite memory i, ha- I have to admit though is uh is when we were able to get a a, a piece of art of the sally ride in the oh, science God. book the science book right here um and you guys were so excited because yeah. we, we had yeah. copies for all of you and it was just like wow this is just a magical moment that yeah. could never have happened otherwise that moment is enshrined with me because I have it bookmarked because that <laughs> the reveal for that moment was in our finale episode, the series yeah. finale episode. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I had, I had just emailed uh, Chris to ask him if we could reveal it on, mm-hmm. on stream. And we were waiting to hear back. And I was like, Oh, I'm not going to hear it. And I remember it's in the middle of the, of the stream <laughs> where I told everyone we get to announce it. And like everyone's reaction is just like, that was just a, that was a very special night. And that just made that yeah. moment all the more special that we were yeah, getting yeah. the Sally in the book. So, For sure. Yeah. Yeah. We were having a conversation too earlier um, with Eliza before we, we started filming and it was talking about how some people want to learn the game through reading and some people want to learn the game video watching so the impact of that again i think is what led to the success of star trek adventures so far aliza you want to talk about that a little bit with the video um 
I mean, people following, do you even know like what kind of impact they had on people picking up and playing the game? I know Jim said he was intimidated watching Clear Skies, but you know, <laughs> I, I was saying, you know, there's Broadway and we love also, I love off, off Broadway. I just do. I love community <laughs> theater. So, so anything about that? I'm going to tell my parents that I made it to Broadway because Shield of Tomorrow is the Broadway of Star Trek TTRPGs. And I'll be like, what does that mean? Um, but anyway, uh, yeah. So um, there have been, a, there's been a steady, not all, not even just a trickle, but just steadily, I hear from people when I meet them at D&D in a Castle, one of the game masters, I'm going to give him a shout out, GM Tim. He told me he wanted to run Star Trek after he saw our Klingon campaign. And he started an all LGBTQ table that is now an awesome podcast and show because he loved Blood of the Void. Sweet. So that and constantly, Eric knows too, constantly people are telling us that Shield of Tomorrow was their entry point to running and playing Star Trek Adventures games. Yeah. Um, and it, this is, we, we did that. We did Shield of Tomorrow in 20, 20, what year did we do? 2017, right? Yeah, 2017. That's when it started, yeah. Like, so it's five years past now and it's still having an impact because thankfully the internet lives on. In this case, thankfully, uh, our show is still completely on the internet and people find it and stumble upon it and then uh, want to play the game after. So um, yeah. it's, yeah, it's it's just, it's really gratifying and honor honoring to me, like, to be a part of shield of tomorrow and to be a part of something that has been so seminal in uh sci-fi ttrpgs star trek ttrpgs with star trek adventures i yeah it's like i can't even describe how it feels it's it's really awesome mm -hmm. that's amazing what about awesome. especially through the pandemic too i mean i think it, me and jim talk about how it was a lifesaver for a lot of people through the pandemic being able to discover this yeah, you know what's funny is that Eric and I, you know, we did Geek and Sundry games. We we both played in games and ran games at Geek and Sundry while we worked there, and that was all in studio. We didn't do remote play, and I remember a couple times when it was tried, it kind of didn't work. Like we couldn't figure out how to do it well, so then they just kind of scrapped it. And then we go into the pandemic. Eric, myself, and Sam Delev, our our co-founder of the Streampunks. Um, we decided to create the Streampunks and do these two new Star Trek shows and everything shut down. And so we had to go remote for everything. And I think it weirdly was a blessing for us that we had already been, we already had a groove, right? We already were a group that loved playing games together. We knew we had lots of stories in us to tell together and we weren't going to let not being in studio together stop us from continuing to tell those stories. I don't even know. I would love to hear if Eric has a different answer, but like, I don't, I don't think I had it in mind that, oh, hey, Blood of the Void was, we were supposed to launch in studio and then we went to remote during the early times of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I wasn't thinking, oh, this is good because people are at home. I was just like, I just want to do the show. Like it wasn't mm -hmm. even a marketing decision. It was just like, how do we just keep telling stories? Yeah. And that's like a lot of our decisions in Streampunks comes from that. It's like, we just want to tell stories together. How do we do that best? How do we serve our audience best? That's it. Yeah. Uh, Eric, uh, some thoughts on, on that? Just, yeah. I mean, essentially... Streampunks, we we had such special experiences. Shield of Tomorrow is really where it started for us. I mean, there was a lot of magic that was already kind of happening on TBD RPG because some of the cast members from TBD RPG 
followed us over into Shield of Tomorrow. It was just assumed that I was going to keep dragging anybody who was willing to continue playing with me to every show because at the time there was a uh, <clears throat> there's this thing where uh, that people were this was I think something that a lot of people were kind of fumbling over in the early days of TTRPG, which was they were trying to replicate what they were seeing on Critical Role. <laughs> and mm. the, the thing about CR is CR was never a show that was developed and put on. It was a bunch of friends that were playing Pathfinder. And when D&D 5e was coming out, it was D&D Next, uh, Felicia and Zach Eubank asked the group if they could put a camera on them while they played. It's essentially how it came about. So the chemistry and everything that happens between those players was completely natural because they're all a bunch of, they were all a bunch of really close friends and it's why it's so infectious to watch. Um, when we were developing this show, I was like, I'm just going to keep pulling people with me because everyone who I know that I'm clicking with, I've developed a rapport with, and I'm not casting people. I'm asking my friends to come play another game. Um, so when Hector had a reference of somebody who could come join us, because Hector was a friend of mine, <clears throat> um, I was like, that's, that meets the requirement. Like, come on in, like join us. Uh, Sam was already a part of it. Uh, Amy Dallin was already a part of it. Uh, Gina was eventually going to become a part of it, but Gina had been a part of the, the Doctor Who game. The, the, the point to all of this is every time I had a chance to grab somebody from the previous campaign and pull them into the next one, I was going to do it because we had already had these powerful relationships and we wanted to keep telling stories. And it's remained the same ever since. We did Shield of Tomorrow, did Callisto six. And then when our time at geek and sundry came to an end, I, I was like, I don't think GNS should be what determines whether or not I keep doing what I love. So I asked a bunch of them to come back and say, Hey, do you want to do it again? I mean, we're not going to have the the huge platform that we had anymore. We're not going to have the, you know, multi-thousand dollar studio with the set builds that look like that. We're not going to have any of that, but do we, do you agree that we should keep playing? Cause these stories are fun and amazing. And uh, Yeah. And so that's how it continues to push forward and again and again and again, and why we keep coming back to play with each other. Like Lisa said, we just want to keep telling stories together. Yeah. We're on our, is this our fourth Star Trek campaign, Perseverance? Uh, Perseverance, uh, including Blood of the Void. Let's see. Yeah. Clear, yeah. Shields, wow, Clear Shields. Skies, Blood of the Void, Perseverance. Yeah. This is number four for us. Four. That's awesome. Yeah. And Jim, awesome. like, I hope that also kind of answers your question from before about like, you know, giving tips to new streamers of Star Trek Adventures. Like we don't, even without the GNS budget, it's just about the storytelling and having fun with friends for us. Mm -hmm. Like, so you don't need to compete with high, like high, big budget, like cool overlay. Just have fun. If you want to stream it and put it on the internet, do that. It's, yeah. it's, there's no rules really, you know, just besides don't be a dick. <laughs> right. Yeah, fair enough. Um, so We're gonna make that the title of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> we'll appreciate that. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a good mantra for life, really. You know, it gets you so far if you uh, if you don't do that. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, that, that that's great, Elise. That actually naturally leads into my next uh, little topic here is that I wanted to wanted to have you two uh, not so much pick your brains, but just like uh, with this wealth of experience that you have, having run uh, Shield and Clear Skies and and Blood of the Void, and now you're heading into Perseverance. Like, um, I love the fact that the two of you as game masters, you don't really sweat the details of the rules, right? Like you, you're not spending a lot of time page flipping and bringing the game to a grinding halt to find some reference. Mm -hmm. You just, you're hitting it and you're moving on, you're yes anding and you're getting on with the game because you're, you're into it for the narrative and the storytelling and the, and the actors are getting, or not actors, but you know, the players are getting into mm -hmm. it and, and doing their character stuff. 
So like, um, which is great because that's how I run my games. Uh, like I, I don't like if I don't have to touch a rule book for the entire session, I'm happy because like it's all mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. and I'm working and I'm vibing with the players and we're we're just making it we're making story happen, right? Uh, so like if you had some advice for folks who want to either get into the game or want to get into or already playing the game and want to get into like a streaming sort of thing, like what what are some ideas or advice that you would have? Like how you approach getting ready to do perseverance as a good example, uh, but also your past experience having done um, the other shows. Uh, like what what should what should new game masters and players be thinking about heading into um, running Star Trek and playing Star Trek mm-hmm. adventures specifically? <laughs> oh goodness, I think there's honestly there's two approaches, and it just depends on the person, their learning style. Um, how they pick up new information and and why they want to tell stories. So like the two promotion, uh, approaches to me are from either you dig into the books and read all you can absorb it, make notes. You should see, I have so many dog ears. This is my monster manual, but um, just like do that. <laughs> Put lots of notes and tabs and underline things and highlight and then just absorb it. And then what figure out what your story is and just run it and let it go. Don't be tied to the book, as you said, Jim. That's one approach, right? To absorb it, kind of front load the information. The other approach is to just start with the basic rules and grow from there. And as you get to things you want to do in game, maybe you have a session where, oh, my engineer wants to fix the warp drive. There's a big problem with the warp drive. And you have them do simple roles. But then for next session, you're like, no, I think I can make that more interesting. Let me see if there's a mechanic in there. You find the extended task list and you're like, okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to give them another problem. And then we're going to introduce this new mechanic. That's a totally valid way to run the game too. And it just depends on what you as a GM, what's going to serve you better for like bringing fun to the table and and making sure your characters, your players have fun playing their characters. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Eric, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I come at it from the point of view is the reason I both want to run and have people play Star Trek Adventures is this is your opportunity to put on the uniform and to explore the galaxy. This is your chance to be in the tarts. It, I, I, a dream come true from my life would be if I was asked to be on a Star Trek show of any kind. And the odds of that happening are astronomical. So if I can do it myself, that's great. Let's supply everybody with, I want everyone to feel like they just got done wrapping a series of Star Trek and that everyone got to have those dramatic moments where they techno babbled their way through a problem and saved the day. Or if they had a funny moment or, uh, you know, I, I want everyone to experience those moments that we've all fallen in love with on Star Trek. I start from there first and everything that I approach, I think, how can I deliver a cinematic feeling experience to a player that makes them feel like that what they just did an audience would watch and cheer like that's kind of how that's my first approach to stuff when it comes to the rules um i i always just default on hitting a target number because that's the basic thing i mean we did that a lot with shield because when shield first came out the rules weren't done (laughs) um i was being given literally packets of paper that were the uh the beta and I was being told like, hey, just so you know, like this is still in progress. There wasn't, y'all weren't even in layout. Like right. I was just being handed texts. Yep. And so uh, so at the top, I was like, that's fine. I, I've got 2D20 and a target number. This is gonna, I can, I can start there and build and it's no big deal. And mm-hmm. for me, it was, it took a little adjusting to learn how to use momentum and threat because I was like, how do I make this not arbitrary? And how do I make this a, a, a like an economy that actually makes the players like they are fighting back against, uh, you know, the, the rising challenges by 
succeeding on their tests and stuff. It was a lot of fun. Um, the uh, And the last thing that I did personally, I have attention deficit disorder and I have a significant problem crunching rules. I always have. Uh, it's made it very difficult for me to get through rule books. One of the that was a huge challenge for me in Shield of Tomorrow because there was nothing. It was literally just reading and having to reread and reread and read. And so I was just using a highlighter and going through it, getting playtesting done as much as possible and stressing the heck out and just trying to get through it. These days, though, if you're interested in playing Star Trek Adventures, my God, uh, and I'm not just saying this, I, I, am, I just cannot, I cannot stress this enough. Holy hell, continuing mission is amazing. My God, I wish I had had that when I was running Shield of Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Holy hell, I wish I had had that. I used continuing mission throughout the entirety of Clear Skies consistently when I had questions or I needed some. I was constantly on that website. Um, there's There was that website and there was a, a, a YouTuber who has since changed his name. He used to be known as the Complex Games Apologist. And he's changed <laughs> his name since then, but he does brilliant walkthroughs of the rules for star trek adventures and not only did he did brilliant walkthroughs but he also did um he also did these great examples of what the impetus behind the rule was and how you could use threat to uh you know do more than just it's not just an exploding power cup link like maybe the tool dropped between the grating and you've got to reach for it during a moment of stress and was really smart at how he was like indicating how extended tasks and threats could be used i now is a better time than ever to be inspired by some of the people who are interpreting the rules and can plug all that stuff in Mm -hmm. uh that's that's i always start at the baseline of that and expand outward to see how everyone else is playing the game and just take what i like and go yeah long answer so i apologize no no that's great that's fantastic (laughs) i'm just listening to both of you it's like oh i'm i'm with my people like one hundred percent. Like uh, you're talking about, uh, you know, get. Like, I love the fact that you, uh, Aliza, you mentioned, you know, get the basics down and build from there, right? Like over the course of the last three or so years, three or four years, as we were starting to develop the player's guide and the game master guide, like I, I got the writers together, including Michael, and we were like, look, look, we need to, we need to take all the stuff we've learned over the last four years and condense it down into really easily understood advice not not so much new rules but just advice like here's the rule set here's how to get the most out of it and that's absolutely what we did is you know we we because we watched all the, all your shows and we were like yeah this is this is it get the basics down mm-hmm. if you can do basic task resolution just that yeah then you can build then you can add momentum add threat add determination add yeah. the focuses add all that stuff later build on it you know but uh, don't let yourself be overwhelmed by the entire rule set because like there's a lot of great stuff in there but it's a lot of meta currencies and stuff that you need to remember to use. Uh, but mm-hmm. if you just get that basic task resolution down, and I think, uh, Michael, if I remember right, that's what we ended up putting in one of the chapters is, is start with that very, very basic building block of basic task resolution, 2D20. Don't even worry about buying extra D20s. Just start with the mm-hmm. basics and then grow mm-hmm. from there. And uh, I just love the fact that you, you both of you brought that up because that's, yeah. that's, that's really what we've, we've been pushing on, uh, on this show, right? Continuing Conversations is to get new game masters and new players not to feel overwhelmed by not just the rule set, but also the 56 years of Star Trek that we've got sure. behind us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, that people have to feel yeah. like they have to absorb, you know? Yeah. No. <laughs> no, yeah. One of the biggest things that Jim and uh, constantly emphasizes to all the writers of the game, whatever book we're brought in on, is that 
in the writing, we stress, you may or may not use this mechanic. We mm-hmm. don't want people to feel like they have to memorize all the mechanics because it's yeah. really about, did you and the players walk away having a night of fun? And some of the things we've done in my game, we've gone an entire game not rolling dice once. Yep, yep. we've had, because, had episodes mm-hmm. of yeah, and, shows like and, that. Yeah, we're like, did, it, did we do any dice rolls? No, because the players were so interested in inviting conflict themselves mm-hmm. and and playing into their values. And that's when I was like, those are the sweet spot adventures for us. Yeah. So we're not mechanics heavy, but if we're not sure how to do something or if I, I as a game master want to be like, mm, I don't want to make this too easy, then I'll fall back on a mechanic. Mm-hmm. Um, game yeah. Master Growth is the YouTube channel. He renamed himself mm-hmm. to Game Master Growth, and I highly okay. recommend it. It's great, great videos. We may have him on the show one day. Mm-hmm. Also, just want to say for the record that the Game Master Guide and the Player Guide are my favorite things that have come yeah. out for Star Trek Adventures. Oh, thank you. Yep. Those are my two favorite books by far. Thank and you. I didn't think anything was going to beat the Klingon Core book, but then those two books came out, and yeah. I was like, yeah, this is great. That was a wonderful read through, fantastically useful. Oh, great. That's awesome. Awesome to hear. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, I, I know that when we were developing it, uh, you know, as the project lead on, I, I had that moment of like, okay, because because my 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 uh, my mandate for the project and then also to the writers was, okay, we need to hit two audiences. Number one, we we need to hit people who are new to the game, maybe even new to Star Trek, <clears throat> who, who might be curious about the game. Mm-hmm. So that we, so that's why we spent the first you know half of the books talking about here's what Star Trek is, here's what Star Trek Adventures is. Here's what the setting is. You know, here's how warp drive works. Here's how photon torpedoes work to a very basic degree, but enough to get them into the into the franchise and mm-hmm. if they had never watched Star Trek before. Uh, but then the other half of the book had to be, okay, you're already familiar with Star Trek and Star Trek Adventures. Here's how to do it more better, right? Here's mm-hmm. how to be more effective with the rule set and all that stuff. And so like, I knew we were targeting two very different audiences and I wasn't sure how they'd land, but uh, I'm just gratified to hear that the overall feedback's been good. I have a question. Yeah, I have a question about that, too, because one of the things that we were very purposeful with with the Game Masters and Players Guide was inviting everyone to the game. Um, And I want to compliment both of you, because one of the reasons I watch Clear Skies or any, any of them is because it's so inviting and it makes everyone feel like they can be part of this. And that is the Star Trek universe. So so talk to us about that. Um, What's the pathways you suggest for new game masters to get everyone into the game what are some of the rules you establish um and I, like you said i'll probably emulate some of the stuff that was talked about in the game masters and players guide but i'd love to hear mm. from the experts hmm. um i love when we were doing clear skies uh i love i immediately when i found out xander was playing the engineer i immediately supplied him with a techno babble table which he used to great effect um <laughs> playing his super passive aggressive midwestern <laughs> bullion uh, um yeah i i like empowering people I, I i still remember one of my favorite moments running shield of tomorrow i have like five or six moments that i just adore but one of them was actually with eliza and it was talon making checks using the um the scientific method system that was in place for testing theories and trying to break down scientifically a theory as to like what's going on. And it was wonderful because I I walked Elisa through the process of the character. Elisa was able to use her science officer to, to her full potential and supply an answer to the group that no one else was able to come up with as this Vulcan science officer did her thing. And 
Aliza, I, re- I still remember from the GM's post looking at the table, like you were just lit up like a Christmas tree and enjoying the heck out of it because you were sciencing and defeating the problem. And what was great about it is the the method, the rule set supplied that for you. It gave you a way to role play solving a problem that a genius level logician science officer Vulcan could do and made you feel like your character was a significant you know, uh, piece of the puzzle that was solving all of this. It was great. Um, empowering players, I think, is the key to like drawing them in and giving them uh, like their moment, giving them their moment. There was a, there was a, um, there was a moment where we had a friend of ours, Joey, uh, Gina's partner, actually. Uh, Joey came and played with us briefly. This is an episode of Clear Skies where he played a, uh, a security officer. This is actually towards the end of the series. He was playing a Tellarite security officer. And it's always difficult when you have guests come into a show that has six cast members already mm-hmm. because, you know, there's so much scene switching. Here, the big challenge for us is we were not using the, uh, we weren't using supporting cast systems, which in fact, when you're streaming Star Trek invites a lot of challenge because the party is always split. And it, mm-hmm. What we discovered playing both Shield of Tomorrow and Clear Skies is that was made it even we're making it really hard on ourselves. And so it became difficult to include a lot of our guest players sometimes. And they would go like 45 minutes before they got to do anything. They didn't mm-hmm. care. They were always cool about it, but I hated that. And I decided like we really need to give Joey like a moment. So Joey got to punch the Cardassian villain in the face and knock him on his ass and just save the day. That one moment in empowering him so he got that sudden like jumping out of the sidelines into the spotlight and doing his thing joey was thrilled and super happy and i think the key is it's just constantly making players that their their players are that their characters are significant and what they built them for is being implemented to to make a big difference in the story and that's easy to do as a storyteller just pay attention to who hasn't spoken in a while and give mm-hmm. them and just hone in on them and give them moments make them feel like no this is your episode now and that that will that does everything i love it when people do it with me and i love doing it with players that's That's, my big thing i think that's what gets people hooked on playing ttrpgs that kind of stuff feeling like Mm -hmm. a hero you know um yeah i would add to that in terms of bringing people to the table and liberating them because like you said there's you said 56 years of Star Trek in the rearview mirror and there's more to come. Um, I, a lot of the people that I talk to who either haven't started playing or question me about what I do, uh, they're like, oh, I've never watched. I wouldn't be horrible. At that. I'm like, no, first of all, that's not a thing. There's no being horrible at TTRPGs. Um, it's just, can you come to the table with an open heart and listen and be a part of a story and care about everyone else's enjoyment too. That's it. Like literally those, that's the basics. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. so I know, I remember too, when we were casting blood of the void, cause, uh, Eric was the, was the first GM of blood of the void. And then I took over, but we both produced it and cast it together. And so when we were casting it, you know, we both talked about how we wanted an all POC, all BIPOC, uh, table. And that meant stepping outside of the regular, the regular, 
TTRPG personalities that people usually see on all the different Twitch streams. And I wanted that. We, I think we both embraced that because I, I'm always wanting to bring more people to TTRPGs, especially marginalized folks. Uh, I know my own personal backstory is that I didn't play until 2017 because I literally wasn't exposed to it. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what D&D was until I was like 28 or 29. Like, um, And God, I wish I had found out what it was when I was 11 or 12 or 13 years old. Um, but it's okay. Now my duty is to bring more people on who are like me and who aren't exposed to it in the places that they grow up in the communities. Thank um, you. Thank yeah, you. cool. Okay, yeah. There's a <laughs> exactly. lot of us out here, right? Like yes. we're newer, but we're super into it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so so then once we got going and we had the cast of the Blood of the Void, Eric and I also talked a lot about like how do we empower these folks because um, a lot of them. I think Quincy was the only one who was like a Trekkie and a TTRPG person. Yeah, Quincy was er the only one. Yeah, everyone else was like new to Star Trek and new to TTRPGs. Uh, except for Aki, who joined the the cast. Uh, oh, right, because Aki yeah. was already playing Clear Skies with us. Right, right, exactly. Aki was already on board, but everyone else in that cast was new to both things. And because we were doing Klingons, we were like, well, first of all, Klingons have a very thorough, not thorough, but like a, very, a lot of the culture has been explored in Star Trek yeah. canon. And we know that, and it's in the book, but we didn't want people to feel like they could only do that stuff. Mm -hmm. We wanted to see their Klingon. We wanted them to contribute to the lore and them to create Klingon lore. Is your Klingon a weird experimental chef who loves Andorian cuisine? Yes, that's now Klingon. That's now your lore of your character and their history. And is that the house that they are from, that, that their house does Andorian? I don't know. Like, we, we just literally were like, Here's the guidelines, loose guidelines, but play and create a character that you want to show up and play every time. Because I think what scares people off of not just Star Trek Adventures, but D&D &D and other other games is like, I don't know the world. I, I'm not good at this. I, I, I don't get mm -hmm. fantasy like swashbuckling. I've never I don't get that. But it's like the whole point is to come and bring yourself and your ideas to your character and do your thing. So I, can, I think the more you can reinforce that for people and show them that it's not only OK to do that, but it's like the point. It's like you're welcome to do that, the, the better. And I think they'll feel more welcome that way. And let me throw a compliment because I know Jim's going to riff off this, but I have to throw a compliment. I've watched the shows and I would never have known those people did not know Star Trek. Mm -hmm. See? So, oh, I'm going to play this back for each of bam. them. Yeah. Bam. Yeah. Play that for Jade and Chris, particularly. Exactly. Awesome. Exactly. That's awesome. And I think, um, I think you're, like, all the casts of all your shows, I mean, that's Itic in action, right? I mean, you can see the diversity right there on the screen, and that that should give people um, and, and players and stuff, the, hopefully, the confidence to know that, like, no matter who you are, where you are, what you believe, who you love, et cetera, there's a place for you in Star Trek, yes. right? I mean, that is that is how it works. That's been my philosophy from day one working on this game is that I want all my writers to be like I want everything represented, represented not just in my writers but in the in the in the people that we uh, that we want to play the game. And I, I know we, Michael, we hit that pretty hard in the Game Master Guide and the Player Guide when we were talking about doing session zero. Like you know, just make sure everybody's got a space at the table because uh, that's that's what we see on Star Trek. Now I know that you know television is a little different that they can only push the boundaries so much. Um, you know, given given the world, and they've, they've gotten better, but there's still a long way to go in terms of complete representation. But like, there's nothing stopping you from doing that at the game table, virtually or, or physically. That's a really great point because for 
uh, both of us for Eric and for my for Eric's games, my games, and also for the improvised generation. There was a lot of diversity that we had already done in our shows and games that now is in Discovery, Strange New Worlds, um, Lower Decks. Like we literally we were diversifying things more deeply than Star Trek was or could at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I think. Uh, TTRPG gaming in the Star Trek world is this very unique creative space mm-hmm. where it's already an innovative genre and franchise. But when you're just a layperson and you have all these cool ideas, it's a really great tr- uh, place for you to, it's a great playground for us as Trekkies to just yeah. like do the things we want to do and we want to see in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. That's a big, that played a big role in Sam and Shield of Tomorrow. Yes. Oh my goodness. That was, that was a big thing with Sam because Sam, Sam's a wheeler and Sam had a lot to say about how disability is portrayed in Star Trek and how it has been historically portrayed. Now, Star Trek does get credit for taking swings at the ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they've <laughs> but, tried. Yeah. But, you know, uh, you know, it, there were a lot of, there was a lot of like, Sam's like, Hey, so I want to talk about this utopian society where mm-hmm. there are no disabled people. Let's, let's chat about this. And so Sam was like, uh, you know, I want, I want my character to also be disabled and I do not want, uh, I want to, I want to dive into that. And I want that because traditionally, and in this, if you don't mind me saying this, this is just something I've observed, but of all the incredibly deeply, incredibly important issues that get brought up about this, when we talk about representation in media, the one that I see constantly thrown to the bottom of the pile repeatedly with total irreverence is disability mm-hmm. again and again and again and again every single time the it, it's stunning and i would not have been aware or knowledgeable of that had i not become uh best friends with sam delev who was like hey uh let's talk about that doctor who game you just ran where you npc davros and let's 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 talk about why this is a problem and i was you know it, it just goes to show that once again if if you can't wrap your head around all the numerous reasons why you should do it, uh, and this is mostly talking to people who live stream at this point, but diversifying your table is capturing the the expanse of human experience, which is vital to storytelling. It is also going to help you wake the hell up from the malaise of s- stupidity and privilege that people, I think, have naturally sunk into over the course of their lives. Uh, and Shield of Tomorrow was one of the most valuable learning experiences of my life because of everyone who I had at that table bringing their experiences and what they wanted to bring in it didn't stop with Sam like we've had lots of conversations Lisa and I like about the TTRPG space and storytelling and ways we wanted to engage with it and uh it's just incredibly important uh, it's a little bit of a sidebar from what we were just talking about I'm mostly looking at streamers right now but um but yeah I I think in in the case of like shields like it was really important to use that as a vehicle to to really explore some of the issues that we didn't get to see a lot of in Star Trek at that time. Sure. It hadn't gotten there yet. Sure, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, Star Trek has always been a vehicle for trying to at least address some of some of society's issues, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you slap on a science fiction veneer to it so that it doesn't scare people quite so much. But uh, it's really important to get that, that to get that messaging out there. So yeah, absolutely. Great stuff. So um, I, I know that we're running up on time here, and I want to be respectful of everybody's time, obviously. Um, I wanted to first see, is there anything that you want to tease with the, your upcoming uh, Perseverance, or do you want to save that for another time? 
Uh, you want to give us a little a little taste of what's coming up, or, or do you want to? Yeah, entirely up to you. I'm not going to put you on the spot or anything. But uh, if you want to, by all means, take the moment. If not, we can we can move toward uh, closing this out tonight. Yeah, I think we should tease some stuff, right, Eric? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, well, so in our announcement on Admiralty Day for Star, Star Trek Fleet Week, um, yeah, we mentioned Clear Skies Perseverance is our next Star Trek campaign. I'm going to be GMing it. Eric is going to be a player at the table. Um, and it takes place on Mars at Utopia Planitia Shipyards. Um, we are working through the Utopia Planitia new book that Modifius has come out with. Star Trek Online also has some Utopia Planitia presence. So we're kind of just like using uh, that uh, artistic and creative input to create our in-game, in-world, clear skies, Utopia Planitia. Um, Timeline-wise, this happens several years after um, the beginning of Picard, or actually don't quote me on the exact years. I haven't nailed down which year exactly it is, but it happens after the attack that's mentioned in Picard, not to be too spoilery for people who haven't watched the beginning of Picard yet. Um, the attack that happens on Utopia Planitia, the the whole shipyard and orbital facility get rebuilt, mm-hmm. um, re-terraformed, and we are the first crew back. Oh, so, fantastic. Are you Starfleet Corps of Engineers? No, but I am reading those books say, as inspiration. Oh, Aliza's going through the entire, like all of the books. I'm, right? I'm trying to read all of them. I told them before we recorded, I'm a slow reader, <laughs> which yeah, yeah, is yeah. why I haven't finished Utopia Planitia book because I'm reading that stuff. And oh, a bunch yes, of but yes, I, I plan to read as many of those as I can because those eBooks are very inspiring. And because I was thinking as a game master, you know, Eric, Eric was my inspiration as a Star Trek game master because he approached the amazing like sci-fi puzzles so brilliantly and i was like we did lots of science we did lots of exploration we did lots of command stories what are operation stories like what's at the heart of those and what's the meat of those what's what's you know the marrow and so reading uh the starfleet corps of engineers is really inspiring me a lot so yes for sure Uh, but no this is this is more like um the people who run the station so it's people who design the ships and also build the ships. So it's going to be a good mix of like blue collar people, so maybe some admin people, mm-hmm. um, a rigger who an anti-grav rigger who like works on the orbital facility, tuning it up and making sure it doesn't fly off into space. Things like that. Um, yeah. Oh, my goodness. I can't wait till you get into it because I'm going to be wanting to know, like, what part of the Utopia Planitia book did you use for this? Because there's so many yeah. mechanics in there. I can't. I, it's not, I'm not even going to say there's mechanics in there. There's mm-hmm. new prompts for Mm -hmm. the work as we i've noticed as jim progresses with different books that are selected to come out of the line it's getting more granular on what life is like in the federation that i already i'm only about 45 pages into the utopia planitia book and i already have so many ideas and because it's exactly that it's like prompt for stories prompt for what's life like for a starfleet officer who lives on a ship which then makes me think when they you, you know when a ship gets hauled in to the orbital facility for refits, what are they going to find? They're going to find some weird stuff on these ships when they're refitting them and rebuilding yeah. them. And it's those, so yeah, story begets story, right? So the book is already super inspiring me uh, for per- perseverance. Oh, see, that's the best plug I could possibly hope for because because <laughs> uh, like every single book we do, I, I my mandate, of course, the writers of Michael will tell you, like my mandate is like, let's throw as many tools as we possibly can 
at the game masters and the players, whether it's a plot hook or a story seed or a mechanic or a random table or just something that they can use in their game. Like every single page, every single sentence could be something that they could pull out of the book and, and do something with In fact, you know, Michael and I, and some of the other folks on some of these episodes, we, uh, we just riff, we just grab a random book, a random Star Trek adventures book, and we grab a random paragraph and then we spend 20 minutes riffing on it. Like, what could we, how could we plug this into a, into an episode or to a session or something? And that's what exactly what you just said is exactly what we're trying to do. So I am, I am gratified to hear that, you know, we, we got it. <laughs> we got it right. Yeah. Once. Oh, yeah. We, we, you know, you're only 45 pages into it and your, your brain's already firing on all kinds of ideas. So that's, that's Absolutely. just great to hear. Super, I just want to say, I just want to say that one of the reasons why I, as a player, am particularly looking forward to this is because it's kind of delivering my Star Trek dream, which is um, the like when Lisa kind of pitched the game and, and and said what she wanted it to be. I got thrilled because there is a different kind of pacing to Star Trek episodes these days, mm-hmm. um, and I, I'm not uh, there. There seemed to be like, especially when the Abrams movies came out, there was a very much like fast pace. I mean, it was a film, so of course, of course they have to tell a story in a certain amount of time, but like the the pacing always resembled more star wars and like how just bam 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 and then the explosions and all this other stuff happening and like even nemesis is kind of notorious for doing that whereas just there was a pacing thing but when Lisa described this and described like the workers at Utopia Planitia and trying to reboot this, I was like, my God, we are finally going to get a spice of lifestyle Star yes. Trek story of people mm-hmm. living in this universe and what their stories are. And it reminded me of how unique and wonderful some of the older days of Star Trek were, like in TNG, where the pacing was, you got the quiet moments of people mm-hmm. just living on a starship, as well as dealing with all of these problems that they're dealing with. And yeah. um the idea of of giving yourself a chance to live in the Federation universe and that Star Trek universe, that's what I find so compelling. Like, I want to know, are they going to make it to their wedding on time? Are they going, you know, like, yes, they have this, they have this dilithium issue, but also uh, they have their children, their grandson's graduation to get to or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I'm interested in that. I'm interested in the the people that build the Federation to make it possible for the Picards to fly their vessels. I'm yeah. really excited about it. Yeah, yeah, you know what's interesting too is um when I so as I've been doing research for this game, watching Star Trek episodes that mention Utopia Planitia, there wasn't we didn't see much Utopia Planitia until Picard. Picard mm-hmm. is the most we've seen of Utopia Planitia. And there's also the short trek Children of Mars. Yep. And that's on Eric, that's on your homework list for all my players. I want you oh, to I've watch that. Yeah, yep. yeah. I saw I know, all the short treks when they came yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. It's really good. But yeah, what's awesome about that is that those are the children of the the anti-grav riggers and the people who design the ships. Those are the kids in the, you know, the Mars community where they all live. So that's the kind of stuff we're going to explore as well. Absolutely. It's that slice of life. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's that's really one of the powers of RPGs. Right. And uh, this harkens something something you were both talking about earlier is that you, you can you can afford to slow down. On, on certain mm-hmm. sessions, right? You can do those deep introspective character moments that maybe they, they have a cut for time on a TV mm-hmm. show or in a movie or something because you just don't have the bandwidth to do it. But like, like I remember playing playing Star Trek way back in the day. I mean, I've been playing Star Trek for a long time, even before Star Trek Adventures. And like my my players and I, we would do like subplot sessions where like, okay, one guy can't be here this week. So there's four of us. Let's just do character interactions, character scenes back and forth. Who's got a scene? And someone will say, oh, I'm in 10 forward and I want to meet with my 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 junior department head. Let's do a scene. And we'll spend 45 minutes doing that scene, just digging into the character, digging into the backstory. Maybe as a game master, I'd throw a hook in and maybe see what, what happened with it and maybe build on that in a later episode or something. 
but but the, the ability to to speed up the story and get into the action or slow it down and just have a one-on-one conversation between two characters or three characters or whatever. I mean, I think that's really the power of RPGs. And uh, um, um, uh, Eric, you mentioned this earlier in the in the episode, and I wanted to just touch on it again, where you were saying that like all these great moments that you had in your in your different shows and your series, like those really meaningful moments that you're always going to remember. Like, like I can guarantee I've been playing RPGs for 40 blah, blah, blah years now. And like all the best RPG moments have always been in Star Trek. I don't know why it's been Star Trek in particular, but every, everything that like all the best memories I have of, of just gaming in general have been Star Trek. And I, I remember like my, my group at one point, we, we were all, we all had uniforms and we were all just sitting around the table being, being in our, in the moment. It was just so rewarding to be able to do that. And, uh, and that's why I do these, these, these books. And, and I'm still the project manager after all these years. It's like, I want to give that opportunity to other people to do that with their friends at, at the game table or with, you know, strangers around a virtual table or something, because it's such a great storytelling venue. Right. And, and like you, you've shown it for four years now, you've been doing all these shows and you've got another one coming up. Like you, you see how powerful that storytelling is and how like Star Trek, you can fit any genre into mm-hmm. Star Trek and somehow it'll work, right? You can do yeah. horror, you can do romance, you can do murder mysteries, you can do Shakespeare. I mean, there's so much you can do with it. So I'm yeah. super excited I, to hear it. Yeah, Michael. Yeah, and I just want to say thank you because it's exhibiting the healthy environment. We have so much, we, yeah. we talk about this all the time. There's so much negativity in the world. And even in, in it was known for decades, there was a lot of uh, darkness even in the RPG world. And so Star Trek Adventures, especially through the pandemic, it was seen was such a, ASMR calmness to it, <laughs> that, that it's really healthy what you exhibit yeah. too and actually mm-hmm. share through Twitch and through YouTube for people to see, wow, you leave a gaming night feeling good, exploring yeah. humanity and loving each other a little bit more. So mm-hmm. I, I want to thank you both for showing that example for the past Absolutely. four years. In fact, you know, Michael, you, you brought a great point the, about the asthma. I, I can't remember, uh, Elisa and Eric, but like when you were actually, you know, airing the show or doing, you know, developing the shows and you're actually in the moment, did you have the sound effects to a place where, like, could the actors hear the sound effects um, while they were playing? No. Um, so, really? well, okay. when so when we when we did it for Shield of Tomorrow, uh, we we did have a speaker off on the side that when we had our technical director on the side would play. It was really great because I had that custom made like a table that they built for me that to look like there's a whole story behind our set and how we got that set. But they, they built me that custom made table where I had control over like music cues and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the cast could hear them, but most often than not, the sound was a little too low. Unfortunately, funny enough, I did end up asking CBS if we could use Star Trek sound effects for the show. When that's when at least this is what I was told that they, they said, we would love for you to, we don't own them. Oh, right. And I was like, what do you mean? And no, they told they told me Sony owned them. Oh, and I was like, wow, what? Okay, I have to ask where where where's that table now? It is at Geeky Tees. <laughs> uh, I donated that to a local. So yeah, when when I was leaving Geek and Sundry, I asked uh, they asked me if I wanted to keep any pieces of the set, and I was like, yes, um, whatever you can, let me keep because they were they were tearing it down. So mm-hmm. uh, some of the cast members were able to take some of it home. Um, I saved a bunch of panels and my GM stand that I later used on Callisto 6, oh, but awesome. I didn't have anywhere to store it. So I, I reached out to Donna over at Geeky Tees, which is a V gaming store of Burbank. I just love that store. It's in Burbank, California. Um, I reached out to them and I asked her, I was like, hey, 
do you want this? And she's like, if you give that to me, I will build a Star Trek room. And I said, done. So she created, uh, they're, they're in the process of moving. They'll be in a new spot in January, I think, or February, but she did. So I'm an hour flight from there. So I'll be Oh, there. right on. Yeah. No, the <laughs> set of shield of tomorrow is at Kiki T's. You can just go chill and, and hang yeah. out there. And my old GM stand is there. Yeah, it's yeah. great. Yeah. So, so what, what I meant to say is that with, with the asthma thing, um, when I was running the game last year for my group on world 20, uh, we, I actually found some sound effects of the uh, like, like the bridge ambiance noise and then the oh like right the engine, that engine rumble and oh I yeah they to, can't hear that on our shows yeah sorry. okay got it so i was able to put those into the into the platform and like so when we would start playing the game they'd be playing in the background I, you know i turned the volume down so that it wasn't overwhelming us but um there was it was so comforting to have that in the background mm-hmm. it just it settled you and it was like the very calm very sedate and i remember like every one of us like after the session was done and we were kind of winding down, I would, you know, turn off the platform and that sound, and all of a sudden it was just dead silence. And it just <laughs> felt weird to not have yeah. to that, yeah. like get back into the real world. It's like, what happened to our happy little cocoon of, of Star Trek, you know? But, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I, I have totally yeah. gone to sleep at night listening oh, yeah. to the 24 hours of the uh, TNG quarters <laughs> ASMR. During the I do it while I work. Night. Oh, yeah. During the worst of my like insomnia fibromyalgia time, yeah. it helps me go to sleep, like, yeah. or at least relax. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, folks, this has been a fantastic episode. I, I just I could I could talk to you all all night about this stuff. And uh, I, I want to be very respectful of your time because I, I, I know you're being very gracious with your time. So I want to take an opportunity. We, we try to wrap it up by uh, shouting out to folks that we want to shout out to. And uh, Michael, why don't you kick it off just to show show them how it's done? Sure. So uh, I always ask our social media platform, which brick and mortar stores we should shout out because we're so appreciative uh, for the people who walk into the brick and mortars and touch the books and have that tactile feel and actually purchase them. So for this show, I'm going to have Brian Kruzinger. He gave us a shout out on social media and he wants us to pump up Strange Ideas Comics, Grand Prairie, Alberta, Canada. My mom's alma mater. Canadian, Quebecois in the house. So, uh, Brian, thanks for Strange Ideas comments. Uh, we want to say thank you uh, for, for everything you do for the game. Uh, sounds great. Elisa, who would you like to shout out to? Well, uh, House of Secrets in Burbank. That's my comic book shop. And yeah, Leland taking care of me with my Buffy comics. Thank you. Shouting them out. Mm. They're awesome. 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 And Eric, any shout outs? I mean, I already did it, so I'll just do it again. Geeky Tees in Burbank. There, uh, that's that is my favorite gaming store. You will probably occasionally spot me and Jody shopping there because it's great. Mm-hmm. It's uh, I highly recommend it. They have all the RPG stuff that you can need. They have big community area in the back to role play and to uh, rent out space and play board games to just check out. It's pretty great. I highly recommend it. Awesome, awesome. And then for me, um, I will uh, I will be completely self serving here, or not self serving, but I'll be uh, shameless in in my praise for all three of you. Uh, because uh, Star Trek Adventures would not be what it is without without the foundation that the three of you put onto it, oh, uh, with the with the streams that you've done and continuing mission, and the inspiration that you've given to so many thousands of fans out there who've watched your shows, gone to your blog, and uh, and, have, and have continued on from there, right, playing the game and enjoying the game. Um, I, there's just no way to thank you enough for everything you've done, and uh, I'm getting pumped about it. But uh, <laughs> uh, you're all family, so you're welcome back anytime. Any, any any support you need from Modiphius or, or or us, don't hesitate to reach out. We're here for you, and um, I'm just I'm super excited to see what you do with Perseverance because I'm going to be all over that 
not just as a fanboy to watch it, but like to say, hey, how can we support you? How can we help you? And and part of that is like, I know what the production schedule is like for the books for the next year and a half. And Mm -hmm. I'm already thinking about how we can tie in some of that stuff and uh, give you even more stuff to play with and and support. So thank you from the bottom of my heart and uh, for everything that you've done. And also thank you to all the countless streamers and, and people playing the game, recording on YouTube, recording on Twitch, et cetera. It's so gratifying to see that stuff all around the world. There's people in all different languages from some places around, you know, following your example and putting their stuff online. I've seen stuff in German. I've seen uh, stuff in French. I've seen stuff in um, uh, Jap- either Japanese or Chinese, and Mandarin maybe. I don't remember what it was. I couldn't understand the language at all. Google and YouTube wouldn't translate it for me, but I was watching them having a good time. It's like, you know, you know how gamers game. They're rolling dice, they're having a good time, they're laughing. It's like, okay, they're, they're, they're doing it. And uh, it's just so great to see it. And we have uh, all of you to thank for that. So thank you, all of you, extremely, very, very much. So I'll stop there. Michael, right. get us out I-D-I-C. Yep. Love y'all. Prosper. Be safe, be well. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.